Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast and joining me today, Uber Pleb at Mutinous11, who reached out to me via the DMs to ask if he would be able to come on the show and share his story and represent the, uh, the Arabic people who are stacking sats and share his stories and why he found Bitcoin, how he found Bitcoin, what led him there and to give a voice to his fellow people over there and hopefully meet more like himself and connect. This is all we're trying to do in this space, find more people like us. Before we do the show, I would like to give the deserved shills to CoinFloor, Bitcoin-only exchange based in the UK, coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten. You can set up auto buys with them. I strongly suggest you do. Pound cost average into Satoshi's. In, in, uh, in the US, it's swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten. Sign up with those guys. They have you covered. Best Bitcoin company out there, full of Bitcoiners and with your best interest at heart. If you're in Europe, you can use relay, R-E-L-A-I dot C-H forward slash bitten. Set up your occur, um, recurring buys and start stacking your sats with those guys. But then you have to take control. The next step is to get it onto a hardware wallet. You can use the Bitbox 02, Bitcoin only edition hardware wallet. It's very easy to use, great features on it. I strongly recommend it. I have been using one myself. Use shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten to get a small discount. Thank you guys for listening and thank you to all the plebs that keep showing up on this show. Okay, we are good to go. Right, nice to meet you, man. Nice to meet you too. Okay, Lauren, I know this has been rushed together. We weren't expecting to do a podcast. We just pulled you out of the shower. Mm-hmm. And you've got to go and have your breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> but for the sake of the audience and for the listeners, what is your first question? Um, why did you reach out to my dad? Oh, I wasn't certainly expecting that. Um that's a good question, actually. I thought I have a story to tell. And most of your dad's guests are coming from the Western world. And most of them are really fairly experienced with Bitcoin. They know a lot. And I thought I do have a different story and a unique one in particular, focusing on the psychology of a new Bitcoiner who is isolated in an island that doesn't have many Bitcoiners. So he's all, he's all alone. He's a brand new Bitcoiner. Yeah. And he's trying to find his way, navigate his world through the world of Bitcoin and not many people to, uh, to talk to over there. Oh, oh where, is, where is there? Where, where, where about That's Jordan. That's Jordan. We do have a community of hardcore Bitcoiners but there are not too many, I would say. 
Well, you've got you've got one of the the main ones over there. Um, safe, of course. Yeah, <laughs> go go hang out and buy him a coffee, and well, um, you know, chew his you know, Safe is safe is a celebrity now, so even if I reach out to him and I did, you know, I, I think he's busy with other projects. <laughs> All right. Well, um, thank you for your question. We'll get into the uh, interview. You can go. Have you wrote for um yeah Amber because it's okay. a really big mess. <laughs> okay, so bye, thank you. Bye bye. Okay, mate. So um yeah, well thanks for reaching out. And so all right, let's start with this then. Brand new Bitcoiner. What 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 brought you to the rabbit hole? What's what's this story? So back in 1989, I was maybe 10, 11 years old. I have vivid memories where my parents were both, you know, in the middle class. They both were working in the government. We had all the basics in life, all the necessities, a bit of luxuries as well. And I remember that our fridge was full all the time. And I remember one particular item that I really liked. It's a type of cheese called lavash kiri. Uh, as the French say, la vache So one day things changed and I can no longer find that in the fridge. So I asked my parents, well, why, why didn't you get la vache And they said, it's becoming too expensive. So back in 1989, the Jordanian dinar lost its value by 50%. So one Jordanian, uh, one Jordanian dinar was equal to $3, and all of a sudden it's equal to $1.5. And of course, as a kid, I, you don't, I just don't understand that. I just understand that there is no cheese in my fridge. That's all I can understand. And then all of a sudden, like, I start to see things changing, like my parents were no longer buying stuff as much as they used to. So fast forward, um, I went uh, for education and then I graduated and I got my first job in human resources management. And I took a job. Did I have passion for it? Surely not. Uh, was, it, was I good at it? I was really good with it. So then I was like, I want to climb this career ladder, becoming someone who's bigger, more important, I need to become a supervisor, then a manager, etc., etc. all the bullshit. And I did. Was it special? Back then it was. Then uh, with time, I, um, I get married in 2008. And then in 2012, I got a job offer in uh, Dubai. So I went to Dubai, living the Dubai dream, lots of money. You would work your ass off for a full year and then you travel once or twice for a vacation. And that was pretty much life as I know it. Um, during that time I had an interest in, in investing because I realized as an employee, I can never ever be rich. So, and I don't want to be a slave all my life to work and then depend on social security giving me peanuts. So when I moved to Dubai, I suspended my payment to social security. And um, I remember back then my ex-wife, she was like, that's suicidal. 
So I told her, I don't think it is. I think by the time I, I'm retired, maybe there will be no social security corporation. She's like, you're nuts. Anyways, um, so historically I had investments in real estate and stocks, and in, in particular bank stocks, because a bank can never lose money. That was the motto back then. Um, so I was very conservative in my own financials. I had one third of my income dedicated to what I call operations, which is day-to-day -day life, rent, groceries, etc., And one third for investment. And the last third is for a black day. Whether it's gonna to happen tomorrow, after one year, after 10 years, you never know. So that was my life. And then in 2016, I met two people from a European, I wouldn't say in a country because I don't wanna, I mean, let's just keep it this way. <laughs> um, they introduced me to a financial instrument called Bullet. So by doing a facilitation between different parties, you can earn lots of money, like beyond imagination. So with those guys, I set up a company, we've all contributed, we've started initiation contact with different parties in Hong Kong, Turkey, Italy, England, um, Netherlands, etc., to facilitate this. And we, we even traveled to Austria to meet some oil tycoon. And we traveled to Malta as well. It's all middlemen. So we need to make sure that deal is going to be done properly. And I thought it's all legal. And I thought of myself as someone who's really smart. Like I have, uh, like I'd like to think that I use, <laughs> I, I thought that I understand people very well. And I can understand someone who can manipulate me. Um, well, apparently I was wrong. So long story short, I spent around $40,000 over the whole thing. Uh, there was nothing actually, it was a scam. So um, after this incident, I was so pissed off of myself. Like how could someone as smart and as intelligent as me fall into this? So then I realized with time, there's a big difference between wishful thinking and greed and motivation between all these factors. So I gravitated towards learning more about fraud and con artists. And what does this con man really mean? So I realized that this comes from, it's short for confidence man. That's why it's called con man. So someone who instills confidence in you so that you believe something that is not. Then I start to read books about the whole thing. Like, oh, I was really gravitated towards crime, scams, technological crimes, um, and con artists. And I was like, oh, this is really interesting. Um, and 2018, I got divorced after 10 years. I was not in a good place and um, I took another job. And it, by the way, I've worked in HR, business development, sales and operations. I never liked any of the jobs that I took. 
I was I was just good at them. Um, so I took this job back in 2019. I was really doing well financially, but I didn't, didn't really like it. And I felt that I'm wasting time just pretty much doing the same thing over and over without something meaningful in my life. If I'm just saving money, putting some investments here and there, some were good, some were terribly bad. So I started to read about invest, investing as well during that time. And then I was like, you know what? My mom is getting older and I'm not really seeing my mom much. So I was living in Dubai, my parents were in Jordan. So I decided, you know what? I need to take a break and take over vacation, which is something I've never done in my life. But I thought, I don't want to regret not doing that one day. So I took my mom, went to Prague. We had an amazing time there. During that time, my CEO was contacting me and I just completely ignored his messages and calls. I was like, fuck it, I don't, it's my time now. You know? If I lose my job, I can find a job. But if you lose a family member, you will never get that back. So after vacation, went back to Dubai and then my CEO was like furious. Like, I'm your CEO, I'm trying to call you, even texting you. Who wouldn't respond to a CEO? And I'm like, listen, man, this is not really working, okay? Being a CEO is raw. You're not God. <laughs> so I'm like, you know what? Here's my resignation. My friends thought that this was a bad decision, but I thought to myself, you know what? I never really liked this job. And I didn't, didn't even know why I took it. I took it for the money, obviously. And I'm like, I'm just repeating myself over and over. But right now, I'm not married with no kids, so life is, can be easier in terms of managing things financially. So I thought to myself, you know what? I need to do something that I haven't done before, like completely. So I packed my bags, not, not really my bags, just one bag, and I started traveling. So the bag, by that time I was, having this philosophical discussion within myself, which is what is the difference between what I need and what I want? And then I was exposed to the minimalist idea. And I was like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Why do I need like 10 shoes? Like I can get by with one or two. Like, yeah, that makes sense. So I started traveling in Southeast Asia. So I went to Thailand, um, Myanmar, and uh, Vietnam, Malaysia, Bali, and India. I've had so many interesting discussions with different people from all walks of lives. What I've really noticed is that most people are really not content with their governments. So I was under the impression that, you know, if you're living in a Western democracy, your vote, your vote really counts. But those people are like telling me that they don't have a vote in the system and they're quite discontent with the whole thing. And I thought it's just social media that gravitates towards negative news and spreading faster because they're selling more. But then I started to believe that everybody is discontent. Nobody's happy with their government, the way things operate. So, um, and then COVID came and I was stuck in Goa. 
I was having great life in Goa. There was like maybe eight cases back then. I cannot really say back then that I did have an opinion about it. Like, um, do I believe this is something bad for humanity or is it fake? But what I do know is that most people form an opinion based on what they hear from friends or based on one documentary that they watched and then it becomes their truth. So I was like, this is bullshit. And you just can't tell people that you're wrong. Nobody, nobody wants to hear two things. Number one is that you're wrong or no. So everybody can have their own, own opinion. Everyone develops their own opinion in different ways. So I didn't really have a position on COVID. And I'm like, you know, living my life. I mean, Goa, like it's, it's cheap. The sun is shining every day. There's people from everywhere. And it's primitive and it's basic, it's like a village. So with time, the, the locals became a bit more hostile towards foreigners, thinking that we brought the disease to, <laughs> to Goa. Um, you know, there's, back then there was a lot of misinformation all over the place, okay? So then I contacted my embassy. I'm like, um, is there an evacuation happening anytime soon? See, Jordan is, is a poor country, so we barely can you know, support our own citizens in our country. And they go like, you know what, we don't know, we'll, we'll keep you updated. So I was hesitant, should I go back or not? Like, you know, going back is pretty much the same shit everywhere. So there's no point. At least I have the sea here. And some shan, um, some some as well, some some sun as well. Then the embassy contacted me after a couple of months, and, she, um, and the embassy indicated that listen, we have one evacuation flight, and we don't know if there's going to be more. So, yeah, so take it, take it or leave it. I'm like, okay, I'll take it. So they said, yeah, the, the flight is going to be from Delhi. And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm in Goa, which is like 1,800 kilometers away from Delhi. They go like, yeah, don't worry. We're going to send you a driver. I'm like, wow, that's, that's something. But, but I was really afraid, like, you know, who's going to fucking drive for 1,800 kilometers, you know? <laughs> and the roads of India are not really paved in a, in a, in a healthy way, so let's say. So they go like, yeah, don't worry. We're going to send two drivers. They're going to take shifts. And in between, one of them is going to be driving and the other is going to be sleeping. I'm like, okay, <laughs> let's do that. So we were, um, they came to Goa. They took me from Goa. And 40 hours later, I was in Delhi. Like, I was wrecked. In one go, no stops. Okay. So I went back to Jordan. Of course, the COVID mania was, I'd speak back then, everybody, everybody had a theory, everyone was a scientist, and every discussion is all about COVID. So I'm like, you know what, I'm sick and tired of that shit. I don't want to talk about it even, even with my family members. So then my brother told me about this um, app called Audiobook, and he knows that I like to read books a lot. But throughout the years, like, it became harder for me to get hold of a book and actually putting the effort into reading it. Because every time I read like 10 pages, oh shit, 
I lost. I lost it. Let me just go back. So he told me about this app, Audible. And I downloaded the app. And um, as part of uh, being a new member, they give you one credit, free credits. So I was like navigating through the books. And then I found this book. It's called the Bitcoin Standard. And I'm like, man, this Bitcoin, I've heard about it back in 2013, 17. And then now at the end of 220. So I'm like, okay, this is a scam for sure. This is like a Ponzi scheme for sure. Having someone like who, who was gravitated towards con artists and scams and fraud and all of that. Like now I think I'm in a better position to understand what this is all about. So I looked into the author and he happens to be an economist. So I'm like, okay, yeah, that's one area that I wanted to know more about. Then I read the book and I was blown away, like as if I found a treasure. And I just couldn't believe it. Like, so I went online and checked the price because the price is what gets you first. I'm like, yeah, he's, that's actually true. Like it went like a gazillion percent in 10, 11 years. That's impossible. So, and then at that time I was like, let me read it again. Because, you know, you can retain so much information. Like once you read the book, you can retain 10, 15, at best 20%. So I read it again. And I was like, okay, there's certain logic in here. And then I went online to look for content. And there's a lot of shitty content online. Like there's all these traders, like, you know, that remind me of books I used to see when I was, a child, like, you know, learn Korean in five days, you know, like make your first million in five days in Bitcoin, stuff like that. Um, so I'm like, oh, that's bullshit. So I wanted to hear from someone who did not have an interest in you <laughs> listening to his or her content, you know what I mean? So then I came across many people, including Robert Breedlove, um, Michael Saylor, Pompliano, there's many, many, many more people. Like right now, I listen to, religiously listen to 20 podcasts, okay? Can you imagine? <laughs> um, and then I was like, okay, I want to buy some of that. Now, I live in a country where the, the central bank banned uh, the financial services from dealing with anything uh, crypto. I need to mention something I forgot to mention. Why did I want to buy Bitcoin? So, as I said earlier, I was an investor in stocks, in particular in bank stocks. So, because of COVID, the, the Central Bank of Jordan said like there will be no stock dividends from banks. Um, in 2020 to strengthen the economy. And, in, I'm, and I'm like, in my fucking head, are you fucking kidding me? You're taking what I thought of as my own money and you're, you're giving it to a bank, which is a fucking private entity. So they're going to be using my money to make more money and I get nothing in return. 
So I'm like, you know what? This is actually true. I cannot trust the system. So we were born and raised to trust the system. Whether it's a good system or a bad system, we just happen to trust the system. So I sold all my bank stocks at a loss. And then I'm like, okay, I need to buy some Bitcoin. But I just didn't know how. So I knew that you can buy, buy through exchanges and you can buy through peer-to-peer. But I didn't really have much trust in anyone to buy from. Like, what if they rob me, like having cash and paying that? I know it's, it can be done. I've done it later on many times. But back then, I was in that, that dark space. Like, you know, not your keys, not your coins. Like, all this content. Like, you know, be careful. Okay, I need to be careful. That's my money that I invested in, in so many years and I accumulated a good chunk of money for, for me to be relaxed later on. Now, I went on a hike, and by coincidence, I met a fellow Bitcoiner, and he was in Bitcoin since 2014. And he's like, listen, man, come to my place tomorrow. I'm going to, we're going to talk about the whole thing step by step and how to do it. So I did, and then he explained to me how exchange works and how can you transfer money to an exchange. So I managed to find a way through the financial services to get money into an exchange. Um, and I bought some Bitcoin. Uh, the first one I bought was like for a thousand um, dollar. And I was like, I need to test this. So I need to transfer it into my software wallet to ensure that it works. And then I bought more and more. So I have allocated 75% of my wealth into buying Bitcoin. And I'm like, that 25 remaining is just a cushion for me in case I had a bad black day one day. So I moved it from my software wallet. I initiated transaction into my hardware wallet. And I was just freaking out like, shit, man, this shit is taking longer than I thought. I didn't know it's the right address. Oh, my fucking oh. I can't believe this. And there was no one to support me. That's what I'm saying. Like, there's no one in the sense of really knowledgeable about Bitcoin. So, and sometimes when you're a new Bitcoiner, you just want to interact with someone to give you assurances or to give you some technical data for you to go and look into. Yes, there's a lot of content online, but it's like a, a huge mountain, you just don't know where to, to start climbing, you know? So I initiated that transaction into my hardware wallet and all of a sudden I was like, ah, oh, shit, it's there. So that was all my money, 75%. And then with time, I realized, you know what? My money is sitting on the bank. I don't need money now, really. I'm living, like it's, it's fucking COVID everywhere. There's no traveling. I am really living like basic life, not spending money. And if I want to spend money, like where would I spend it now? So, so 75% became 97%. So what I was left with is just a few thousand dollars just to manage day-to-day -day operations. 
at the beginning, I was like, shit, man, what if the network fails? This is the, what I meant by the psychology of um, someone who's new to Bitcoin. That was like at the, at the beginning of this year. What if the what if the network fails? I'm not a techie guy. Like I don't understand. Like even if I go online and read all these technical stuff, I understand nothing. Um, and then obviously there is a lot of fud as well. And then there's a counter fud. And, and what I know from my experience in life is that we are very very tribal. So regardless if you're right or wrong, you stand with your tribe. And what I mean by tribe, Daniel, is um, like, a, could be a religion, could be a movement, could be a country. Like, um, listen, I'm vegan, so I will support all the vegans in the world. I am, um, I'm part of team A, we're against team B. Like, so I understand that we're very, very tribal. So, and sometimes being tribal, you just, you, you're blinded by the truth. So I would look into some FUD as well and look into the reasons behind this FUD and I look into the anti-FUD as well. And then your opinion changes over time. Sometimes you have more conviction, sometimes less conviction. I would say that every day that passes and the network is still there, you will have more conviction because it is still going. And I want to comment on one thing which happened the last few days when when there was a quote unquote crash in Bitcoin, like 15, 20%. Some people said it's because of the Fed is saying something. Some said that it's the hash rate in China because of the electricity thing. What I realized, and then this is not just recently, that we want to create stories for us to make sense out of something. <laughs> the reality is, Daniel, there was at that time less demand than supply, some FOMO, and the sense of, oh my God, I'm gonna lose my money here, let me sell. That's, that's the truth. Whether we have an outage in China, or the Fed said something, or Elon Musk tweeted about Dogecoin, is irrelevant. So I managed to, to, to find the truth in between all of this text and content and marketing jargon between people. And this has been my strongest point. So now I do have conviction about Bitcoin and pretty much the same story with so many people. Like when I talk to my, to my friends and family members who I, they trust me obviously, they just don't listen to me. And I was like, shit, man, I'm building a story for you here. Like, really, I'm, I'm, taking, a, I'm taking them down through the history of money, which is not like, I think everyone should be interested in that, but not, not many people are willing to listen to that because they think it doesn't affect their life. And explaining Bitcoin is difficult because even hardcore Bitcoiners do not have one definition of what Bitcoin is. Meaning to some people, it's a currency, to some, it's a store of value, to some, it's for whatever, right? So there's no one definition. I think that's the beauty of it as well. It's like, it's like a religion, like, 
every person believes in that religion because they have this conviction of something in that re religion that they like. So I started talking to my friends and I managed to convince a few, but the vast majority were like, mm, that's bullshit. And I'm like, listen, read this fucking book. So if this book is quite technical, so I would recommend something that's lighter. And people just don't want to read. I'm like, okay, now I need to understand one thing. You cannot convince anyone about Bitcoin. You do, everyone needs a few touching points until they're curious enough to dig deeper into this. So what I, I tend to do nowadays is just I throw just a little tiny piece of information. Could be a teaser sometimes, could be provocative at times, but it, it may have a stickness effect in your brain. So if you haven't thought about it today, maybe tomorrow you will. And, and now I believe any kind of publicity about Bitcoin, whether it's good or bad, or even negative, I think it's good publicity. Yes, it's burning the oceans, blah, blah, blah. I think it's good as a publicity because that will make people go and check their own truth on their own. And then they have their own conviction. Whether it became a Bitcoiner or not, that's irrelevant. With time, if this continues to grow, people will change their opinion. So this is what I'm doing right now. Now, I thought in, in Arabia, there isn't much content like in Arabic online. And uh, the content there is, is all about how to trade and make gazillion uh, dollars using Bitcoin and crypto. And shitcoin is getting so much attractions from people because the lo their logic is that, listen, Bitcoin is at 55, 60,000. How much higher can it go? But look at this fucking shitcoin. It's just $1. If it goes to $2, that's like 100% in a day. And Daniel, I just came to know today, there was um, a new publication of a new token called ASS. So not sure if you have heard this. So, uh, a beautiful, hot, attractive girl is, is promoting ASS token online. Anyways. So the young people in their 20s are gravitated towards shit coins. And there's no point of convincing them because, as I said earlier, everyone has their own truth. So you need to be conned in that sense to know your lesson and maybe exit the market for good or to move into something that's more solid as Bitcoin. So I thought about creating a podcast like yours because... And I thought, like, you know what? It's not that difficult. I just take the English content, Arabize it, and then spread it out there. My biggest challenge was the technical aspect of a podcast. Yes, you can learn everything. Yes, it's going to take you time. But I never knew that the audio part of a podcast is a challenge by itself. And I'm like, you know what, no, that's, that's a lot of work. And by the time I reach out to people, it's going to take me maybe five, six years. I don't know. And plus, I cannot survive doing that as well. And it's not enjoyable because I'm not talking face-to-face -to, -face to someone. And that's why, you know, my name on Twitter is Muteness. It's because it's the complete opposite of me because I like to talk a lot. <laughs> so I ditched the whole idea. 
then I saw an opportunity that I'm building at the moment. Yes, there's a lot of content out there and there's a lot of good content, even books as well, which is great. They have the scaling ability to reach thousands and thousands of people. But I thought I saw a window of opportunity in the sense of educating people in the Bitcoin space. I think education is the best thing and what is missing the most in Bitcoin. And what I mean by education, I mean an education with a human touch. Meaning, yes, you can go into Sailor's Academy and learn about Bitcoin, and it is really great. But also you need that in human interaction with someone to ask questions in a small group of people. So what I thought of, I'm gonna start traveling again when COVID is over in different countries and I'm gonna start doing workshops for five, six people every day almost and building a network of that. Yeah, but some might argue, yeah, but how much can you charge? I'm gonna charge $5 for each person, a session. So my friends were like, yeah, but how can you scale that? Well, you don't, <laughs> that's the truth, right? Because you're trading your own time for a small group of people. But I was lucky enough to be exposed to Bitcoin. Yes, I had the interest, yes, I was curious, but many, many people are more intelligent and smarter than me that don't have any exposure to Bitcoin because of a perception that they have built over the years, just like yours and mine. So I decided to start traveling and start doing educational workshops. So what I will be focusing on is first, the history of money and then information about Bitcoin. All of it's gonna be high level, like overview, and this will trigger interest in people. So by charging every person $5, I can maintain a decent level um, of covering my cost. Maybe, maybe not really that level, but at least I'm doing something that is meaningful. So I don't want to get into the nine to five jobs with something that I absolutely don't like and repeating myself over and over until I'm fucking 75 and then I want to retire and relax. That's not life. So I've decided that that's one idea. I'm going, maybe I will be doing that. And the other thing is that the biggest decision is that I'm going, I'm, I don't want to work in anything that is not Bitcoin related. That's the biggest decision. So and right now I'm reaching out to the people in the space just recently, like the last couple of days, looking for jobs. Of course, I'm not a techie, so what is really being required at the moment is technical um, related jobs and the opportunities may not be that much and i know that you've done a podcast with a bitcoinerjobs.com and that was great and things are evolving in that space but that has been my decision so that's pretty much the story until now all right mate what an amazing story and 40 hours in a car across India does not sound like fun at all to me. And there's a lot I want to ask you about. Um, going back to the beginning of the story, the scam that you were pulled into, uh, I've experienced something like that. It was a lot closer though. Um, you know, 
friends uh completely scammed my wife and i out of some some cash when we had made friends here in, in france and got to know them and built a relationship with them man that fucking hurts like so i know what you're talking about when because that you, you're it's like you it's like grieving right like the seven stages of grief that you go through when when you lose someone it's like that when you realize that person who you thought you trusted was just a total complete con like you said and then you blame yourself even though you we've done loads i mean we had contracts drawn up and, and all kinds we, you know, we we played it all by the book but still you feel completely stupid and you blame yourself and it, and and we're lucky enough that it, it didn't uh, affect the relationship and it, uh with our marriage um because we were both involved in the whole thing from the very beginning um so i just wonder and I then started, like you, um, digging into, like, how do you spot these people? Because I never want this to happen again. Um, what, what, did you, what did you find when you were trying to come to terms with that and you were digging into who these people are and the kind of things that they do and the tricks that they pull and, you know, the signs to look for in the future? So at that time, my, um, my ex-wife told me that there's something fishy about those people. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You don't know nothing about the world. <laughs> so when I lost this money, I didn't have the decency even to tell her. <laughs> um, what I have learned, and before I answer this question, so in one of the jobs I took in Dubai was a sales job for a big, big real estate company. And as part of the job, you get through this training where they teach you how to manipulate people, like how to play with their emotions to that level, right? So this company was targeting wealthy tourists who would come to Dubai. So I'll just explain how can you manipulate people because it's very important for your audience to know this. So I was trained that once they landed in Dubai, you, they capture them at the airport or at their hotels. They throw a trigger and th that trigger generates an interest. And all of a sudden, the next day, the company sends a brand new Mercedes to their hotel to pick them up and bring them back to the company. And everything has been planned. Like from the moment they enter the company, they see all these trophies of the best developer in Dubai, the highest tower. And they say a, they see a room full of people just like them. They just don't know it. And then they assume that these are like all deals that are happening at the moment. There's so much demand. And then I would take them on a tour First, you need to befriend your customer. You talk about things outside of work to develop that personal touch and relationship and you see what that person gravitates to into. And then you focus on that area that this person is interested in. Then you take them into un underdeveloped projects, you get out of the car, you walk around, and then you ask leading questions such as like, what do you think of this building? Like, do you see this tower over there, this, this mall over there? Like, once this is developed, well, do you think there's going to be 
lots of um, traction to the area. How many think do you, how many people do you think will come to this area and buy stuff? So these are like all leading questions. Of course, what I never knew that the clients, whether they're engineers, scientists, or white collar, blue collar jobs, they're they all fall, fall for it, like regardless of your intelligence level. We tend to believe in what we see, and we see screens, and we believe in those screens. So then I would take them back to the company, and then you would manipulate the numbers for them to believe that they're going to make lots of money. Like, I'll tell you how you generate an interest, which is creating a sense of urgency. And this is what my manager was fucking doing. And I wasn't really, I'm not proud of it, but I'm going to mention that for those of your listeners to understand how people can be manipulated. So at the end of the tour, when you cook, quote unquote, your client, you bring them back to the showroom, buzzing with people, making deals and all that shit. Um pictures of deals and making money and wealth and all of that indirectly. And then you talk about the price, which is let's say 1.5 million, which has been repeated over time during that trip. And then <clears throat> you just go to your manager and call the manager. You just don't say anything to, to the manager. So the manager's job is to close the deal. So the manager comes back and then he asks me a question like, okay, where did you guys go? So when the manager sits down, I change my seating arrangement into sitting next to the customer as if we're one team. And that has been planned as well to that level, okay? So I would say we went to this place and that place and we saw and we liked and all of that shit, okay? As if I'm a trusted party to my client. So the price was like 1.5 million and we just, we discussed the prices, and but my client doesn't have that much money. And sometimes you do have the audacity to actually ask the clients, like, how much money do you have in your bank account? Like, these are like aggressive sales questions. Like, how much money do you have that you're willing to uh, allocate to this project? That's just in one day, Daniel. Can you believe it? Um, then the manager sits, and then he's like, hold on a second. So he comes back with three papers. <clears throat> and he's like, okay, the price for the units is 1.5 million. And I understand that you, do have, you don't have the money for that. However, one of our Russian clients who bought five units and he wants to exchange one of his smaller units into a bigger unit. So for him to do so, he wants to give back one of the units, and to upgrade. Well, of course, as per the law, we cannot sell it higher than the original price. So he would show him the first document of the unit, and now the price is all of a sudden 850000 So the clients feel a sense of urgency. And the second document is a fake passport paper of that so-called Russian client. And the fourth paper was well, something else. I don't remember. Maybe the map, like building, uh, whatever. <clears throat> I was disgusted of myself, to tell you the truth. It all come to the breaking point where I was with a Saudi couple who were like in a middle-class family. They didn't have much money. They had five kids. 
And the wife asked me a question. She's like, at the end of the tour. They were both convinced. Huh? It's, it's all. They wanted to allocate their wealth, their entire wealth. Even they wanted to borrow money. But I was disgusted with myself. Yes, it's a good commission for me, but fuck it. Um, so she asked me, she's like, Bashar, do you think it's a, a good investment? Like, you see, we have kids and we want to pay for their education. And that's all the money that we have. So I told her, um, I don't think you're ready. And the deal was off. Of course, my manager was furious at me <laughs> for not closing the deal, but I did the right thing. So back to your question, how, what did you learn? Being someone who has been generating an interest in fraud and con artists and how do people manipulate people and actually working in a job that does that as well. For me, I always remind myself when someone's pitching something to me, what's in it for that person? Why is he or she telling me this? Can I see behind the screen what's behind that image of a nice watch or a car, etc.? What drives that person? Is he or she genuine? What are the motivations behind it? These are like legitimate questions for anyone if you want to know if that person is genuine or not. That's, that's what I like. So when you look at Bitcoin now, you, you obviously, you apply this lens to, to anything that you're, that you're interacting with. Did you have these, these emotions to begin with? Like, I mean, I remember you saying, yeah, this is a Ponzi. There's no way this can work. After reading Safe's book, you, you you come to realize that maybe there is some truth to this. Has that conviction just grown over time? Can, can you find any untruth uh, as to? Uh, I think this is what Paul's. I mean, um, Breedlove and and um, John Vallis talk about this a lot. You know, you, Bitcoin is truth. Um, one book is not enough. For sure. For most people, it is enough to build that conviction. But that conviction can be shaken if you don't strengthen that conviction. You see, I'm someone who was a hardcore person into religion. And my deepest beliefs were shaken at one point in time because they were not strong. The foundation was not strong. I thought they were strong. So I moved from learning from one religion to another, to another, to another. Okay. So I've always been interested in knowing more. So when I read this, the Bitcoin standard, yes, it's fantastic. Then I read a couple of other books as well. I, like in total now, I would recommend six books to people to understand. Yes, it's a mountain to climb, but guys do the work. So the Bitcoin standard is one. Daylight robbery is fantastic on tax and money. The history of it as well. Um, the power of tomorrow for Jeff Booth. When money dies, about the Weimar Republic. The sovereign individual is fantastic. And the recently layered money is just a classic, straight to the point, no bullshit book that everyone needs to read. Now, well, regarding your point about the likes of Breedlove, which his content is really music to the ear. He's like what I call the monk. He's like a poet in that sense. 
So he talks about the philosophy, and I think it's important. I just think that most people are driven by two things. That's a human nature. I think we're all driven by fear and greed. These are like two main motivations. So people may like the philosophy aspect, but they think more of what's in it for me. That's the most important thing. What's in it for me? Yes, I can join a movement, I can support a movement, but if it's not supporting me directly, I'm not that serious or interested about it. So the conviction is not because of the content, the poetic content that is out there of, of only changing the world. And I think it, it will, like I have conviction about that. It is just, how does it affect my life personally and directly? And how can I affect the world as well? I mean, I can look for a job right now and get a decent paying job, but I chose not to. Okay, I'm willing to work in a Bitcoin space, even for free. Like when I mentioned about the education thing, it's almost for free, like $5 for a group of five, seven people. This is nothing per day. Okay. But it's just like doing something meaningful. So to answer your question, the best way I would say is, yes, things can go wrong. Yes, there is risk. There's nothing that is secure 100%. There's nothing that is truth 100% apart from physics and math. But you know what? If you don't have something meaningful in your life, if you don't have conviction, then what is the point of just being in that rat race, doing nothing and just existing in life and not really living life? Yeah, mate, nicely said. And it's um, something that, uh, yeah, we, we, we tried to address back in 2014 when, when I quit my career and we started traveling and, um, you know, tasted freedom, which was amazing. And, and obviously, you know, big decisions to make at the time. But, uh, you know, you do the work, you do the research, you figure it out and you, 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 you move forward. Um, I want to ask a little bit about Jordan. What, what, what's going on over there? Because... It's um, a monarchy, as uh, as we know. So it's not. Um, uh, well, well, tell us what's the, the political landscape and what's uh, how's life there at the moment. And um, yeah, the the the, the, the um, what's the word I'm looking for? The the exchange rate that you were talking about earlier. How, how is things looking? Um. So Jordan is a country that's in between Israel, Syria, Iraq, and Saudi. In most of those countries, there are issues, problems, wars. Jordan has been not fairly stable, has been stable throughout the last decade, I would say. Historically, Jordan is, um, is and was a poor country that is heavily dependent on aid. And we have refugees, Palestinian refugees, Syrian refugees, and Iraqi refugees. So the country is under dire economic pressure and very little um, revenues coming to the government. So the, the situation has been deteriorating over years. And then you see sentiment of that, of an increase in prices and inflation kicking in. And just like 
it's not similar to the what was happening in the Weimar Republic when you know assets are going up and people are thinking that their assets are making more money. It's not to that level, but it is just under an economic stress that is growing over time. We have witnessed what is happening in Lebanon, which is close to Jordan, of the deflation, um, sorry, the inflation that is happening, the currency loss over the last couple of years, 90% of its value. And lit literally that is, that is unleashing the evilness in people trying to find ways to get their day-to-day -day stuff, and it's so bad. Um, and recently we've had issues within the monarchy as well, where um, at best I would describe it dispute, some people would call it military coup, I don't think it's that far. I think it's all fueling by the economic situation, people are frustrated, lack of jobs, and the government has been the biggest employer. And that has been okay in the 70s, 80s, 90s, until recently, the government can no longer inflate and, and hire people. So this is where we are at the moment. So the exchange, exchange rate is quite stable now. Um, like the, the, the Jordanian dinar lost its value, half of its value back in the late 80s, ever since it has been stable and it has been pegged to the dollar. So there's no issues on that front. So how's the Bitcoin scene looking? I know you said that it's, it's tough to find many people, but do, do you hear things uh, amongst your, 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 your group of friends? I mean, Jordan or like um, surrounding countries as well? Um, in Arabia as a whole, I think there is like um, two, two, three, four exchanges. And, you know, we, we both know that, you know, Bitcoin has like 1% of the total global population. It's pretty much everywhere, in the street and everywhere, right? So it is still a very small society. And I would call it society because people are, they have the same interests in, 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 in that society. That's why I would call, I'd like to call it society more than community because in a society you will have people who have the same interest in, in one thing, which is Bitcoin, and they do have different and conflicting opinion about so many other things, including COVID, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, and some people even mentioned like, there's so much toxicity in, on, on, on Twitter from Bitcoiners. I think, you know, you'll find good people and bad people everywhere. What do you expect? You can call it tough love, you can call it whatever you want, but that's the way it is. I don't personally think it's the best way. I think it can provoke people and can push people away. You know, I just tend to say to people, like, remember, you were anti-Bitcoin at one point in time, whether directly or indirectly. So just be nice to people. <laughs> so the Bitcoin scene here, like I have two friends who are, one of them is a hardcore Bitcoiner who probably knows as much as I do and maybe even more. So that's reassuring. Um, he's more like an acquaintance, not a friend, actually. Um, but he... I happened to meet him through Facebook group, and then by coincidence, he was like a very good friend of, of a friend of mine. So that was what's happening. Now, do you see all these groups, people interacting, but it's mainly shit coins, man. So it's just like, like even if I say something about Bitcoin, like I'm labeled as the old man now. 
old man yelling, you know? <laughs> it's tough though when you see it, when you see the, because you just want people to understand that like, you know, it, it, just follow this one path, but people have got to do what they do. It's, um, it's tough. It's very, very tough, especially when people are talking about shit coins. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I want to mention something. I want to get your opinion on it. Like hard, I understand the logic behind um, Bitcoin and, and even hardcore Bitcoiners um, like fairly well. But I also tend to believe that it's not like sub-zero game. I am reaching a point where, you know what? Bitcoin is doing its job, but there could be other different things in the crypto space as well. Why, why do you just label everything as a shitcoin? Like, you don't know the truth, okay? You just have to be open. Just because it's a, it's a winner right now, it's the highest price and the market cap. Yes, it's that pristine asset. I get it. I'm on board myself. I'm open to other things as well. Like there could be, maybe apart from Bitcoin, there could be two or three other coins that has utility for the future. Like, um, I don't know which one because I've never looked into any to tell you the truth. Like even Ethereum is like, I haven't really touched that surface. But for me to do, as I mentioned earlier, for me to have a conviction about something, I need to do some research about it before I label it something, you know? Not because, some celebrity in the Bitcoin space says something, I, I need to believe that. No, you just need to just like find your own truth. And honestly, with so much content about Bitcoin to learn, I just don't have the time to learn about other things. Daniel, I'm spending between six to nine hours a day on Bitcoin in between podcasts, books, and learning about stuff. So I don't have the time. No, exactly. Um, yeah, just stick with the Bitcoin stuff, I would say, mate. Um, the, 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 the way I like to try and uh, sum it up is um, Bitcoin has educators, altcoins need influencers. Uh, that's the only way that they're going to attract people to their project. They, they're going to have to influence people very, very quickly. And a lot of them are pump and dump scams for the, the, the founders and the, and the early investors. We've seen it time and time again. And until, I don't know, the, the, the even this cycle is happening again, right? All of this DeFi stuff, you know, people that they just meme DeFi and this is going to be an amazing thing. And no one knows what it actually means. Uh, for, for me, Bitcoin is DeFi. It's the ultimate DeFi. Like DeFi happened, you know, way back when Satoshi released the white paper. And, you know, it's being built on top of like Lightning Network. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I mean, that just completely shatters Bitcoin Cash. There's, there's no need for it. And the market has already priced it for you. It, you know you know where the market sees. The free market is pricing Bitcoin at $60,000. And then the next most expensive coin is wherever Ethereum is right now. Don't even know. $1,400, they, they don't even They don't even compare. And as long as we have this army of, of Bitcoiners coming out with this, this uh, quality content. And you're talking about layered money and that's one of the latest books out. And I've got Nick's book on Audible myself and I've started listening to it. It's like, man, this is, this is 
I can already tell this is going to be a great book. I don't think you're finding those people on other projects because they've just got to move so fast. They've just got to influence people into their project, into their coin. I don't know, man. That for me, there's, there's, I'm just completely focused on Bitcoin. You know, I fell into the trap back in 2017 of Dash, of um, Litecoin, of Ethereum. I learned my, I learned the hard way, and I've managed to rid myself of 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 those days. Um, lost some, I lost some of the stack. I, you know, I managed to get it all back into Bitcoin in the end, but for less Bitcoin than I started with. And I certainly don't want people following my path and many other people in the space have been down the same route. They just, they don't want others to make that same mistake. Um, but people are people and they're going to do what they do. So it's, um, it's up to the individual at the end of the day. That's what this is all about. But uh, mate, I want to ask you um, the final question and see what, uh, where this takes us. So if you had one orange pill left to give, who would you give it to? And why? Actually, I thought about this uh, answer before we start the session, so that I'm, I'm not pushed into the corner. And I just don't can't come up with one answer. Uh, I have two people basically. Um, the first one is the Rock. Um, you know, the famous wrestler, TV star. Why is the Rock? Because he has such a huge huge influence. Yeah, the guy really works really hard. He says he says stuff that can resonate with so many people from all walks of life, and he's not a polarizing figure. So if the rock is orange pilled, that's huge. The other person that I would think of is who's I think is a genuine person, a huge reach is Joe Rogan, which I'm a big fan of. I'm not talking about some big company CEO or something. I'm talking about people that I find genuine. So if they have embedded Bitcoin, I think it can be huge. Love it, mate. Great answers. Did you Have you heard my interview with Mark Yusko? This was from last year. He's the only other guy that said The Rock. I have not, no. <laughs> you've got to go back and listen to it it's it's funny it's uh it's and you know mark is he's this older guy sorry mark if you're listening but uh he won't mind me saying that and to, to hear him come out with the rock just completely on the fly was very very amusing and you're the only person that uh, has brought him up again many have said joe rogan for obvious reasons you know genuine guy has a huge reach um it seems like it seems like he's almost there i mean he's had so many bitcoiners on in the past um and you know he's certainly curious enough to to really stare this down and take a deep look at it so yeah fingers crossed and but he shills it as well right he's got the cash app he says bitcoin at the beginning of every episode so it's there it's slowly slowly creeping in so we just keep our fingers crossed all right mate well i won't keep you any longer and i really appreciate you reaching out as uh, another one of the plebs and to represent um, Arabia and, and share your story, very personal story and how you found the rabbit hole. Best of luck with your upcoming project. That is such a great thing to do. I really hope that goes well for you and you can get traveling as soon as you can.
Thank you, Daniel, for your time and um, keep on doing what you're doing at the moment and reaching out to all the plebs around the world. You're doing a fantastic job. Love it. Thanks, brother. Have a great day. Hey, guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Mutinous, for coming on and sharing this. I love talking to uh, newer Bitcoiners. I don't know if you guys listening have the same experience when when you meet that person that's just fallen down the rabbit hole and it's just started clicking and they can't stop talking about it and they've got a huge smile on their face and all of the fireworks are going off on their heads all of the dots are starting to connect all of the stars are starting to align and their energy levels are just so high it's just so great to see that you know i'm almost jealous i want that feeling back again to be that uh, that newbie coming into the space and and like mutinous here already trying to figure out his own project to give back and this is something that we've seen pick up very very quickly throughout 2020 and 2021 people take the pill people get it people want to start a project how could we lose guys seriously thank you everybody for listening if you're rating if you're reviewing i really appreciate it head over to the website it's once-bitten.com you can check out the sponsors page you'll find the usual guys there but there are some other companies that have got some goodies on there as well so please make sure you go and support them I will give a a last quick shill for my book, Choose Life. You weren't expecting that one. And also to the sponsors, coinfloor.co.uk, swanbitcoin.com, relay.ch, and shiftcrypto.ch, all forward slash bitten. Love you guys. Take care.